It's uh, great to gather with all of you on this Good Friday. So for quite a while now, we've actually been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the resurrection texts in, in uh, chapter 15 in particular. And what we've seen there is that all of us will be, will be resurrected. We will all be resurrected. Some the believers, Christians, will be resurrected to be with Christ and non-Christians will be resurrected to be sent away from Christ, but we all will be resurrected. But in order for a resurrection to happen, there's a prerequisite. There first must be death. You can't raise something from the dead that has never died. So tonight, we aren't going to be talking about resurrections, but rather death. We're going to be looking back at what happened in Jesus' life right before his death, because that week leading up to his death was a crazy week. So today is, is Friday. And as we look back at what happened on that Friday, nearly 2,000 years ago, and put ourselves in the, in the sandals of those who were with Jesus on that day, this day that we call Good Friday doesn't seem too good. It's somber. This was a historic event that was prophesied. And tonight is the night that we remember it. It's real, but it's dark. The light of the world was extinguished. Today is Friday. But last Sunday, last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and that, that is an amazing day in the church calendar. Last Sunday was the day that we, we, we celebrated that when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a colt, and there were crowds of people there who, who were taking off their jackets and they were laying them on the road, like we do for celebrities who walk down the red carpet. And people were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, and they were celebrating and praising God. But that was Sunday. Today is Friday. And so much has happened in these short days that make up Holy Week. So Jesus just celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Disciples that he knew were about to run away rather than stand by his side in the most excruciating time of his life. He ate the Passover with a man who was about to betray him and another with a man who was about to deny that he ever knew him. He ate the Passover, the Passover that since it first came into existence in the book of Exodus, when they would take the lamb and they would slaughter it and they would put the blood on top of the doorposts and on the sides of the doorposts, since it first came into existence, it pointed to the perfect Passover lamb that is Christ. He ate this Passover that symbolizes himself. And after this dinner, Jesus takes the disciples minus Judas, who's already left to betray him, and they go to this garden along the side of the Mount of Olives. It's just outside the city. And up until this point, Jesus has been calm and courageous when talking about his upcoming death. Throughout his ministry, he's appeared so strong. And now, the gravity of what is about to happen hits him. Before we read our text tonight, would you just pray with me? Father, we know that you are good. 
And we know that you are loving. And I pray that you would just comfort us tonight. Convict us. Draw us to our knees in repentance, Lord. We thank you for being that perfect Passover lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read from Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What we see here is that Jesus submits to the Father's will even in the most taxing moments of his life. This whole time he's, he's praying to God in this garden, he's thinking through of everything that is about to happen. And yet he still submits to the Father's will even in the most taxing moment of his life. And this is not easy. Many of us can remember a moment in our lives where we were filled with dread. We know what that emotion is, that dread, right? It's that feeling you get when you're driving down the highway and you see the red and blue lights flash in the rearview rear mirror. Or it's that feeling you get whenever you have to go to the BMV and wait in line for hours. And for students here tonight, it's that feeling you get right before taking a big exam, right? You kind of dread that moment. But, and Jesus felt dread, but it was so much more intense. It was more of that feeling that a soldier gets before he crosses enemy lines. That feeling of dread knowing that your life is coming to an end. This feeling was depressingly consuming. Let's look at verse 36 again. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What we see is that Jesus will be crucified knowing the pain. 
This is one of the things that's flowing through his mind as he's on his knees in prayer all night long. Jesus will be crucified knowing the pain. And this pain was, was several things. But first, this pain was physical. Being crucified is one of the most excruciating ways you could die. And it was a very normal practice in the ancient Roman. Basically, a person being crucified actually dies by being suffocated with their arms outstretched, pinned to the wood by nails through their wrists. The crucified person is holding all of their body weight on their arms. And they do that to inhale and get, get oxygen in their lungs. So doing so pushes their chest upward and outward. But that makes it really hard to exhale. So they have to switch positions. And they put all of the body weight now on their legs, which is a more natural way to stand, but that searing pain just goes through their whole body. It's extremely painful, and they have to switch between these positions to inhale and to exhale. And each time, they're twisting their wrists that are pierced by a nail. Eventually, it becomes so painful and the person becomes so weak from doing this over and over again that they stop switching positions and they suffocate and they die. What a terrible death. And that is how Jesus died. And the, the hardest part for us is just knowing that we put him there that it should have been us, that it was our sins who put him there, but they needed to be paid for. So the pain was physical, but the pain was also psychological. When we sin, we often feel guilty. And as Christians, we know that we, that we are called to repent and ask God for forgiveness and come back to him. And we know that God does forgive and that we are redeemed because of Jesus' blood on that cross. And remembering this can bring us peace and encouragement in difficult times in our lives. But that doesn't always stop us from feeling that guilt. This is that conviction versus condemnation, right? Conviction is, is a good thing. Conviction causes us to run toward God. It brings us closer to God, but condemnation is, is more negative. It pushes us away from God. It's running away from God. And I'm sure that we, you have all felt guilt I have. We feel this, this weight, this separation from goodness because of sins that we are ashamed of. In fact, the more mature we get in our faith, the more, the more, the more we feel this weight that draws us to repentance. And this is a great thing. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in us. But Jesus, Jesus was pure. He never sinned. He hates sin more than we do. And yet he bore it. He took on the pain that was about to come for our sins. In verse 39, Jesus has this first plea to the Father about what is to come. And he says this, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here we see that Jesus clearly is submitting to the will of the Father, but he's also asking, is there any other way? Like, God, is there any other way this could happen? Please, is there any other way? 
The cup he mentions here is clear imagery to the cup of the Last Supper, that, that communion cup. And when we partake of this, we are, we are participating in the benefits of Jesus' death. But for Jesus at this time, that cup is referring to death itself. It's referring to, to judgment. By drinking that cup, he's committing himself to go through with what is about to happen to him. So this pain was physical and psychological, but the worst part of it all was that this pain was involved him feeling the wrath of God. This pain had him feeling the wrath of God. Uh, Romans 3, 24 and 25 show us this. It says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And there's that big word propitiation there, which really what it means is the appealing of God's wrath. So God being holy and just must punish sin. And that wrath that would come on us as sinners is appealed and put on Christ. So Jesus had to experience the wrath of God because our sin is ugly, because our sin separates, our sin divides, it kills. And God being pure and just must, must punish that sin. He would have to do this to all of us because of our sin. But Christ experienced it for those of us who put our faith in him. He felt the wrath of God. He bore the penalty of our sins that put him there in the first place. He did it in our place. So while we feel the dark weight of Jesus' death tonight, we also see his beautiful love displayed for all of us. That he was willing to be crucified no matter what the cost. Is there any other way? But if not, I'll do it. As we continue in verse 40, it says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see that Jesus will be crucified knowing the abandonment. Jesus will be crucified knowing the abandonment. Jesus has all of these justified emotions and is in anguish and is in so much pain thinking about what is about to happen to him in just hours. And he's already told the disciples all of this. They know what's going to happen to him, but it didn't sink in. Because if it did, they wouldn't be sleeping. But they are. Jesus tells them to watch and pray that they may not enter into temptation. The temptation he's referring to is what Jesus told the disciples on their walk to this garden. In just the, the couple verses before our text tonight, Matthew 26, 31, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And when Jesus tells them this, one of the disciples adamantly jumps up and says, he says, though they may all fall away because of you, I never will fall away. And we all know who that was. Of course, it was Peter. Peter who just threw all the other disciples under that bus and says that they might leave you, but I never will. Look at me. We all know what happens to Peter. 
Three times, Jesus comes to the the disciples and pleads with them to stay awake and stay alert and pray with him, knowing what is about to happen. And three times, Peter will deny that he ever knew Jesus. So Peter denies Jesus, and all the other disciples, they run away and hide and flee. Jesus is abandoned by his own disciples, who he's been pouring into for years. That's why he pleads with them to stay awake and pray. You see, Jesus knew how important it was for his disciples to be paying attention. And sometimes that's a hard thing for all of us to do, to pay attention to to God, to pay attention to what he's doing in our lives or, or in our church, to pay attention to the spiritual reality that is happening around us. Jesus wants the disciples to be paying attention so he's not abandoned. Sure, that's one reason, but the main reason he says be alert is because it's time to stand in their faith. It's time for us to stand in our faith. It's time for us to stand in our faith, affirming what we believe before others, like the disciples were supposed to do, and like we are called to do. But Jesus also is in this anguish because he's looking ahead and knows that he will feel the abandonment of, yes, the disciples, but even worse, the abandonment of God the Father. That's why in verse 41, he again seeks for another way to save humanity. That's why he's praying for another way. That's why he's so sorrowful. That's why in Matthew 27, 46, as he's hanging on the cross, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that They record that in Aramaic there just to draw our attention to it, to show us how weighty of a claim, how weighty of a a statement this was as Jesus is dying on the cross. He didn't say much on the cross, but he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because our sin kills, it divides, and it is ugly. Our life in Christ was not cheap. It required death. It required a sacrifice. That's why we are called to die to ourselves because our old sinful self was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And that way, we have all already experienced death because we died with Jesus as he died in our place. And now we are called to live into that reality. As we look ahead into verse 42, it says this, it says, again for the second time, He went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is about is, is betrayed into the hands of sinners? Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So, Jesus will be crucified knowing the pain. He will be crucified knowing the abandonment. And he will be crucified knowing the betrayal. He will be crucified knowing the betrayal. 
all of these things running through his mind that night. I can only imagine what he was thinking and feeling. Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness, and that's usually when we think of his temptation. But he is, he is tempted here not to go through with the crucifixion. He's holy and pure. Why should he die? In verse 42, Jesus says, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. But Jesus knows that he has to go through with it. Why must it be done this way? Well, he answers this actually in the next conversation he has with the authorities in, in Judas as, as they come to arrest him. And even in verse 46, we see that this conversation that he has with the disciples actually ends by Judas arriving on the scene and Jesus is about to be arrested. But in that conversation he has with the authorities as they arrest him, in, in this chapter, verses 53 and 54, show us that Jesus could have gotten out of it. Jesus, Jesus says that he could have gotten out of it. That God could have sent a legion of angels to come take him away from being arrested. But he says it has to be this way so that the scriptures are fulfilled. It has to be this way. And the scriptures that are being referred to here are, are numerous. There, there are scriptures like Isaiah 53 that Pastor Matt just read that prophesy about Jesus' death. Isaiah 53 verse 5 said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought grace. Written hundreds of years before he ever came to this earth. But that sounds exactly like Jesus. So it's scriptures that, that talk about his, his death, sure, but it's also scriptures like Jeremiah 31 that talk about the new covenant. They talk about our relationship with God, that we can have an intimate relationship with God and know him and be saved. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Sounds like the Holy Spirit. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 28 prophecies were fulfilled the day that Jesus was crucified alone. 28 in that single day. This is the only way to save humanity. It's the only way for us to have the Holy Spirit. It's the only way for us to have a relationship with God. And it's the only way for us to be forgiven. It's only through Jesus being fully God and fully man that he could save us. So Jesus is alone here and he's betrayed and all this stuff is going through his mind, but he shows us his love. In this temptation, in a moment heavy with emotion, he chooses to pray and plead to God. He also tells the disciples that they should do this, but we all know that they don't. Jesus shows that we too should be praying that God gives us courage to overcome temptation. Because after all, it was us sinning during times of temptation that created the need for him to die in the first place. So Jesus also felt betrayed. This whole night that Jesus is in the garden, all of the disciples are sleeping, except one. One isn't sleeping, but he's, he's betraying him. And Judas has already left to go get the authorities, despite Jesus having been mentoring him for years and 
Apparently 30 pieces of silver was enough to steal Judas's heart. Some of us have felt betrayed before, and if you have, I'm sorry, that, that's a painful experience. Sometimes the pain of being betrayed can hurt more than physical pain itself. But we all know what that feels like to, to be betrayed. We would never want to do that intentionally to anyone, but we did it to Christ. Our sins put Jesus on that cross. So, how is this Good Friday? right? Like, what, why do we call this Good Friday? What about this is good? It's a day where we remember that Jesus was murdered. It's a day where we remember that he died because of our choices. Sounds like a dark, sad day. Well, D.A. Carson points out the glimmer of hope that we have in this by saying this. He says, it was not the nails that held Jesus to that wretched cross. It was his un." unqualified resolution out of love for the Father to do his Father's will. And it was out of love for sinners like me. What we see in Jesus' death is that he did it out of love for you and love for me. He did it out of love. This whole Easter story is one of the most, is, is the most loving act ever committed on earth. So is this good Friday? Is this actually good? Yes. Is this a hard Friday? Absolutely. Absolutely. Recognizing the pain and anguish that he is about to face, Jesus pleads with God for another way, but ultimately he agrees to do what must be done. Jesus submits to the Father's will in the most taxing moment of his life, and he dies. And if that were the end of the story, there would be no gospel. If that were the end of the story, there would be no good news. If that were the end of the story, there would be no hope. But that's not the end of the story. Sunday is coming. Would you pray with me? Father, you love us so much, so, so much. As we just think about all that you've done for us, we think about Jesus being nailed to that cross, dying in our place. What an act of love. Father, I pray that as we reflect upon this tonight and we remember this event, Lord, that you would just be stirring in our hearts and drawing us closer to you. That, that this would be a night that we get on our knees and we pray to you and we repent of sin that, that we need to repent of, Lord, because we know that you forgive us. We know that you save us. We know that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.